Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Drew Welch Project. Welcome back. For the, those of you new to listening, I'm your host, Drew Welch. I am joined today with an awesome member of Dolphins Twitter. He uh, is with the Fan Maniacs, and he, he hosts the Deep Dive Podcast, and thankfully, I actually have my daughter edit these things. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing well, Drew. Thanks very much for having me. Good to hear. Good to hear. So... You uh, deal with the Fin Maniacs, the website. I know you're also doing some other work right now, too. Is that correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. Doing some writing and running things content-wise over at Fin Maniacs and doing some work with a couple of great guys over at the Fin Attic Network. I know you know Brian, Savak, Jimmy. So just really doing a lot of just bringing together the community that this Dolphin Nation is as a whole and just really talking fins. Good to hear. Good to hear. So let's get to the first thing. It's not fins related, but it's probably the most entertaining thing going on in sports year in, year out, at least the last couple of years. AB, he finally has news on his suspension. The details are if he's signed by August, he's only out eight games this year. The league didn't say anything about it, but it was awful interesting that they waited till after Harbaugh had said, made the comment that there was a looming suspension that uh, they, they kind of, made their ruling the next kind of day. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, a situation like with AB, it's been really a very quick and rapid decline in terms of just what he brings overall to a team. Four or five years ago, he was probably the best wide receiver in the game, bar none skill-wise. And, you know, you tolerated the, you know, the diva mindset and the penalty and celebrations and all that other kind of jazz that came with the territory. But recently, and I don't want to, you know, get into extreme details. I don't really know all this extreme detail. You see so many different articles or sources or whatnot. So whatever the case may be, if I'm, you know, sitting in a team, I don't think that it's a situation that I want to bring into a locker room with the eight game suspension. That means that once he does come on, you have to say goodbye to somebody else or whatever the roster management will be. I don't think bringing in that sort of a problem situation with what has happened the last couple of years is advantageous to a team trying to make a title run or to a team trying to, you know, create a growth and a culture that is different than years past at a detrimented title run. So to me, I think there really has to be kind of a cut to this. And, you know, we've been here before. Shame on us if we are here again. Yeah, and shame on AB for coming back for one freaking game against the Dolphins last year. Agreed. That was a rough one. <laughs> when he come in, he came in for I don't know how many yards, two touchdowns, and then was gone again. Played one yeah, game last season. I didn't like season. the stage dive, or not the stage dive. I didn't like the dive into the seats. That that hurt. Yeah, that well, last year period hurt, especially that <laughs> second. Yeah, I mean, after that first game, we went to the second game, and uh, I was – Always firm that I thought they were trying to win, but they were doing it on a budget. But I got to admit, after those first two games, it shook me a little bit. So oh, definitely, sh- definitely shook us all. But you know what? The resiliency of the team, you know, that showed season, uh, you know, moving on in the season. Oh, it definitely did. And I think they've got more buy-in than they've ever had in their coach. Well, since Shula. I, I just, they haven't been the same since then, as far as a team and that aspect. And I really think that's, going to be the big change that we're going to see this year coming in as they start to actually get better 
so speaking of things that are not better, but are good for the Dolphins, how about those Patriots? Seven out of 31 of those players have opted out of the season. So or there have been 31 players overall that have opted out for the season. Out of those, seven are from the Patriots. So if you're sitting there and your name is Joe Thune and they just franchise you for the year, so you essentially – you don't have to play, but your contract is guaranteed day one that the season starts. So it kind of backs you in a quarter. If you're Joe Thune, how are you feeling right now? I think there's something rotten in Denmark if I'm Joe Thune. And, you know, basically what does he care what they might be doing for next year? You have players opting out, which is obviously a combination of COVID-19 and the timing of what year to obviously try to tank, so to speak. I hate that word. We've, we're done with it. But it's obviously moving north this season. So fact is, if I'm, you know, I, I don't know what to do. If I'm an agent telling my client how to handle it, especially with this year, if he wants to quote-unquote opt out, what does that necessarily do with the contract status of a franchise player be a force of trade? And then again, is the compensation going to be, you know, a jungle because of the climate in the air and what's going on with everything with this, you know, pandemic? So it's really a tough spot for anybody to be in, especially if you're a Patriot, knowing that you're basically a lame duck Patriot, that you're just on a rental. Yep, you're, you're blocking for a QB that's probably not going to be there next year, whether it's Cam Newton or uh, – I already forgot his name. Never mind. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've kind of marked in my memory to forget that name because it'll be gone here in a couple of years, even though he, <laughs> he was a shoo-in. Yeah, he was a shoo-in for the Super Bowl up till they signed Cam. Well, it depends on where you ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Patriots fans. They're like, yeah, yeah, he's the best ever. We don't need anybody. They'll make anybody win until they sign Cam, and they're like, Jared Stidham who? Exactly. All right. So moving on to the next topic we'll talk about, which is a fan favorite. Everybody loves to talk about, comes up all the time. Mr. Tua Tagovailoa. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. He's wide receiver, right? <laughs> I thought he was a defensive tackle. <laughs> exactly. But uh, so he's graduating online today from the University of Alabama with, ironically, a major in communications from Alabama. I don't know if you get an accent when you get that degree. But, yes, my wife's a Bama fan, so I take pokes wherever I can. Uh, <laughs> but with that said, how is it, and Houts brought this up earlier, part of this up, is he, he asked a question, uh, Josh Houts, he does the Insiders, he's all over Twitter, he's at Houts, just since I'm quoting him, he asked, why haven't the Dolphins been able to get a picture of Tua in his jersey yet and share it? And I got to ask that same question. If Tua can graduate a complete state away, how can we not have a picture of Tua in his jersey yet? It is a great question that Hats proposes. He's terrific. You know, if anybody would know the exact answer, it would be him. I cannot give you the answer. The only thing that I can guess is that this is just a nice strategic tease, like a movie trailer, like, you know what, you know, you know, you got it, you know, the pick is in the can, the movie's in the can, there's like a premiere date that we don't know yet, and now they got to start the marketing campaign, you know? So that that's not official, that's just my maybe, maybe thought, but the fact is, you know, you mentioned that he graduated, I'm really very happy that you uh, mentioned that because I actually share the same major 
as Tua. I'm also a communication major, so you don't get an accent with that unless you're from the Northeast, and then you obviously have that Northeast New York accent like myself. So I don't think that's going to be a Tua problem. But that we are both communication majors, so I love that I share that with our new quarterback. Interesting. So we learned something new about Jason today. I cannot throw a football anywhere close to any other communication major from Alabama, though. Very, very poor at throwing the football with my left hand, let alone right hand. Uh, the same here. However, we may catch up to Tom Brady at the rate he's declining. <laughs> I can beat him in a race. Probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, he, he didn't have the best 40 time, that's for sure. Between him and, him and Eli, you just can't coach speed. Give me Eli's rings over his rings, tell you the truth. Well, nah, not really. Well, actually, Eli got his rings over Tom's rings. Exactly. That's why they're <laughs> sweet. Oh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially with this new QB coming in and things beginning. Uh, this is kind of an offset of that, but Tua's success versus Joe Burrow's success. And I'm not going to get into the particular quarterbacks here. Just throwing this one out, though. But I think the biggest difference right now is going to be head coaching. And I think it matters more where you go than who you are as far as success for a career. And knowing what the uh, Bengals have versus what the Dolphins have in, in coaching, I think comparing those two, you're going to see a major difference as years go by and the development of the QBs. What do you think on that, Jason? Well, I think that the coaching staff in uh, Miami I could speak to is being very, uh, you know, I'm proud of that staff. You know, I think that they're the staff that is going to be building in place around Brian Flores and, of course, up top in the front office with Chris Greer that's putting the right people in coordination with Flores around the right players. So I do think that Tua's development is going to be the right development to help win games, to help make playoff appearances, win divisions, and ultimately AFC Conference Championship game. and obviously Super Bowl appearances, thus competing for rings. Whether we're talking about who's going to maybe break potential records or have, you know, gaudy stats or be the fantasy guy, you know, you really like to look at a guy like a, a slinger, like a Burrow, with what he has in the offense around him. It's a different situation, truly, you know. So whether I'm looking at, you know, a guy to just thumb the stat sheets and look to see who's going to have the 300-yard games. Look, give me a guy in Tua that's going to be consistent with, you know, completion percentage, you know, third down conversion, being able to, you know, timely hit his receivers at the most important part portions of the game. I don't really care about being down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, you know, garbage stats that a guy like a Burrow may have for the first couple of years. You remember Peyton Manning his first year, he won one game, you know, and, you know, a lot of stats for Peyton Manning took him a long time to win championships, you know? A guy like Atua, I really think is going to be more of a game manager than the quote-unquote game manager, but we're used to those gaudy stats from Dan Marino. I don't know if we're going to be getting the gaudy, gaudy, unbelievable, record-breaking stats, but we don't necessarily need it with a full team. I think he could be terrific in spots. I think that the stats might be Burrow, but the playoff, the wins, ultimately the championships can be Tua. I agree with you 100%. And we are familiar with Zach Taylor because he actually ran the offense for the Dolphins right. for part of a year. And if you recall, for the part of that part of the year, the Dolphins' offense sucked. 
I, I remember watching an interview, and what, or it was one of the announcers talking, and they were talking to Zach Taylor, and he's like, well, it's going to be hard to throw screen passes against this team. So that's going to be really hard for us to, to do to run our offense. And I just thought to myself, if you know that, why would you throw screens? And I remember just shortly after that, you saw an interception thrown, and you're just thinking, duh. <laughs> and so that's where Joe Burrow's going. So it's going to be etched in stone kind of what his plan is and where he's going. So I think looking at that and then also understanding you've got an offensive-minded coach that isn't that good. We have a defensive-minded coach that can coach a good defense. And that's really where the difference is. It doesn't matter, as you were saying, putting up gaudy stats versus winning. It doesn't matter if you're only scoring three touchdowns a game if you only allow one. I, I think that's going to be the biggest difference is the run game and their dedication to the run game is going to be huge. 100%. I mean, do you remember the last time the Dolphins had a good run game? I mean, I mean, look, a lot of people are going to say recently it was Jay Ajayi and he had nice games, and I get it. I mean, if you really – I know, you know, people might throw uh, sticks and stones at me in, in a moment, but Ajayi had a nice season, save five games, you know? He wasn't very consistent. So if you're asking when there was a fearful rushing attack where just there was a bruising runner, a very good offensive line, and the defense behind it that really if you had a lead, it was over, that was Ricky. You know, and you had a stint of that with a Lamar Smith, you know, but that was the last playoff win, obviously, beating the Colts on that, you know, walk-off win Lamar Smith had, you know, 2001. But uh, it's not the Jay Ajayi here. It's the Ricky Williams mindset that you got to get back to in aggregate. What I mean by that is there isn't backs really plentiful like Ricky Williams, like, you know, bruising backs anymore. A lot of running back by committees. I love the committee that the Dolphins are building with, you know, Jordan Howard is that kind of grunt yard guy, the workhorse, minus having to be a 30-yard, a 30-carry guy workhorse. Let him have 17 runs a game. Let Brita have, you know, five runs to the outside, a couple of screen passes, maybe, you know, get utilized overall in that passing attack. And then you have X Factors. You have Laird. You have Gaskin. And then I, I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of Kalen Ballad, frankly. I, I don't like what he did last year, and I don't love the, uh, the peripherals that he comes with. So let's just see what happens with the overall rushing attack. That could be a power thunder and lightning mix in aggregate, but there isn't going to be a Ricky Williams guy. I, I just don't think that that level of player grows on trees anymore, and not to uh, have a bad pun with Ricky there. Well, I, I think there's that. And there's also, when you look at when they do, they just, they don't hold up very long. And I think that's something that, yeah, team, teams have realized that. Look at uh, Todd Gurley. Exactly right. Who was the, uh, the horrible Texans. You can't even say t horrible Texans trade and expect people to remember what you're talking about because there's so many of them. The trade for where they trade. Uh, David Johnson and the Andre, the Andre, Andre Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. Right. The Andre Hopkins. David Johnson trade. I mean, look at David Johnson. That's another one. He'll have a good year and then he's out because he's too beat up. And that's probably the only reason he's still in the league is because he's had those down years where he was out. There's not running backs that do that on a consistent basis. The Giants have one, but he is wasting away right now. You know, he's not going to be the next Barry Sanders. I don't, I don't think to that level. He's one of the better running backs. You look at the Carolina Panthers, same thing. They just don't last. 
and the right. ones that do last catch passes as well. I think that, you know, with the way the, the world and the NFL, again, you know, you need that running back by committee. There are a lot of talented backs in the league, but if the Dolphins could just mix everything that they have, take that, you mentioned it, defensive-minded coach and Brian Flores, who can mold that defense to create less than 20-point yields. And if you need, you know, an offense to put up minimal points like that old school Baltimore Ravens team, you know, like those great defensive teams that, you know, power offenses by 17 or 20 points a game to just win games 17-13, you know. And there were Dolphin teams that had that remnants of it in, in the early 2000s. I don't think there's going to be a ton of 42-33 games like the Marino and Jet years back in the 90s and, and 80s. But, frankly, I don't want to watch shootouts like that. One, or, one is nice here and there, but it would be nice as Dolphin fans and as supporters to watch games where, and Drew, you could name the last two of these in a row that you saw. When was the game over in the second quarter and we just, you know, put it to bed and the game was over and the Dolphins were victorious already? Like, literally 31-10, to 10, it was over. Off the top of my head? Two in a row. I'm trying to think. I, I I don't think I was born. I'm, no, yeah, I'm just I, kidding. I can't. But it, it hasn't been this millennium. Yeah, I, I can't. I, that's, I, I was like, oh, is he actually bringing up a real fact? And I'm thinking in my head, I was like, I cannot remember one. Just two lappers in a row. They're they're one and zero. They're two and zero. They're five and one. They're six and one. You know what I mean? Just two in a row where it's just absolute lappers. Just every game could be a win, could be a loss. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it, it's always been for for the last twenty years. It's always been so close. And you know, Tony Sperano, God rest his soul. Mm, that was one absolutely. of the most frustrating things. Is they would get up by like two points in the third quarter and try to milk the clock out and take zero risks. <laughs> and you just, you know what's going to happen in the fourth. We could all see it coming. We're like, oh, it's fourth quarter. You're getting Peyton Third and Manning. Seven. Yeah. You're, Peyton Manning's, you know, going to get the ball back. You're going to punt it to him with three minutes left. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and You've seen that movie before. Yeah, once or twice, you know, and then the Bud Light happens and it's over. Mm. Coors Light. Coors Light was his call. Sorry. Uh, Coors Light, Coors Light, Geronimo. <laughs> well, as long as you don't say Omaha, I can't hear Omaha anymore. Yeah, they, he did overuse that one a he, little bit. Gase destroyed it for me. I don't. Omaha's done. <laughs> it's not even allowed. No, I don't. Nebraska, I love you as a state, but it's, I can't have anything to do with Nebraska or Omaha. It's over. <laughs> he yells Omaha flag throws. <laughs> it literally means the, the term Omaha literally means the next syllable I say, hike the ball, do something. It's like, audible, change your mind, do something. <laughs> That's oh. basically what, what Peyton Manning described it as. Oh, Peyton Manning. He, he was – I didn't care for him much early in his career till he lightened up some. But after he started to lighten up, you know, did a few SNL appearances. He, he was a funny guy. One of, the, one of the best SNL skits of all time was that uh, football game with the kids. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Put so, some dirt on it, Johnny. <laughs> and I think our next Q, our QB, he may not be Peyton Manning, but I think with Tua, we'll finally have a winner, and that's going to be nice. Give me Steve Young without the necessity to run. Exactly. Just move around the pocket. That, and that's the thing I'm hoping they don't start him too early is I'd like to see him get in the habit of throwing the ball away. Right. 
the guys who have long careers, that's one thing they all have in common. They throw it away. I mean, Brady's going to squeal like a girl while he's doing it, but he's throwing it away once they get within 35, 40 feet of him. I mean, that ball's gone. He is not hitting the ground. And he's complaining, looking for yellow. Yeah, he's like, where's the flag? Right. He didn't even touch you, Tom. You threw the ball and fell down. He whispered in your ear. <laughs> but uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Tampa Bay is going to totally implode. That The age of that team is amazing. When you look at the difference between the age of the, the average age of a Tampa Bay player and the average age of a Dolphins player minus Fitzpatrick, I'm sure that average is probably mind-boggling. I think it, what is it like? Without Fitzpatrick, it's got to be around 23, 24. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere around there because – I mean, look at how many of the undrafted free agents and rookies from last year, and, you know, no one's over 23 or 22 in that in that group. No one is over 30, period. Exactly. Well, other than, the, other than obviously Fitz, well, right. Yeah, other than Fitz. Right. Fitz's beard is older than most of the Dolphins <laughs> roster. That's great. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Fitz, that is one thing that did come up was he, he has admitted that he understands he's the placeholder for Tua and that he's not going to hold anything back, but he's going to compete the entire time, which is great and what you want to hear from Fitz. I'm just hoping that, and this is just my scientific theory, so don't hate me on this. I'm hoping Rosen starts the first game only because if Fitz Magic comes out as the starter, he throws picks, and he throws a lot of them. And that's just history is the, the magic beard comes from the bench. Would you agree or disagree with that? About the beard or about Rosen starting week one? The beard part's what we're going to talk about. The Rosen part we know is not happening. <laughs> well, the beard, you know, you never want to doubt the beard. As it grows in length, his aura – increases as much as he appreciates the aura of, of, of Tua. And he said that, you know, today. But the thing about Fitz is he knows his job. He knows what his role is. And obviously, if you ask him directly, and, I, I, you know, whoever has had the pleasure of really truly asking him this question and be like, well, how do you want this season to unfold? He's obviously going to say in his innermost mean that he would love to win ball games for this team and then gracefully hand the reins on over to Tua after they win something. You know, maybe it, if it's even a wild card berth. I'll tell you, if Ryan Fitzpatrick takes this team potentially to eight or nine games, sneaks into the playoffs, and they just appear in a playoff game, right up into the sunset, Fitz, you're a hero. So that's what I kind of hope for. Is it going to happen? Probably not. You know, let's be real. You mentioned Rosen. I do want to see him on the field and perform better than he did last year because that's where his value is, is what he did in Dallas. You know, that game, he was not good. You know, he put the ball in some good places a couple of times, but overall his body of work was not a good season that he put together in a couple of appearances last year. So you need to uptick his value and – does that happen week one? Let's see what happens in camp. But the loaded answer that I'm trying to get to, to is uh, I can't wait for Tua, but I can wait, if you know what I mean by that. You need to get the offensive line right. I need to see everything that's going on with the team before you can say, all right, franchise for the next decade, you know, plus here you are, take a two-step, three-step drop, and just 
let her rip. And this was a team that had the quarterback get hit most in the league last year and gave up the most sacks last year. Running-wise, they're also last in the league with yards per carry. So you have to get the offensive line right before you put anyone back there that's your franchise quarterback, regardless of any past injury. Forget the injury prone. He's not injury prone. He has had injury. There's a difference, you know? So can't wait for him to be on the field when the time's right. But right now, Fitz has the right of first refusal. And I think that let's just see what happens in training camp and let's see what happens to the offensive line. That, that's where I'm at. I, I think a lot of it has to come with the offensive line. One thing I will say is I was hoping to see some preseason just yeah. to get a feel for, for one, I was hoping Rosen's not getting traded this year, in my opinion. But however, next year, I think is where the value's at. And part of my thinking behind that was, okay, he had, if he had a good preseason this year and he goes to next year, he has a good preseason. Somebody has a, a QB going, go down and they got to look for something that, you know, whether it be a backup or a primary QB, you, you end up with some trade value once some, some need is there. But if you're going purely off the bad parts of his tape from last year, then yeah, no team's trading for that. Not right. worth anything. Right. I mean, not, it's not even worth the team sending back a conditional sixth. I mean, it's not, it's not even a negotiating point. I, and it's not really his Unless fault. someone is in a dire need. And I really don't blame him because Fitz looked horrible those first couple of games too. But right. he was trying way too hard to try to win games on one or two throws. And that really hurt him. I do question kind of just with the coaches' reactions and the way they brought him in and then drafted Tua. Obviously, the coaching staff is not sold on him. So there may be some things we don't know. Now, I know he is very high on – uh, coach Flo, he's made those comments, which is kind of surprising after they drafted Tua that he was still high on Coach Flo or going up to the draft was high on Coach Flo. But, I mean, he's got the right attitude and, you know, really he's not one of those charismatic guys, but he may be the perfect backup for several years. You know, maybe we found our Troy Aikman and Steve Largent combo to sit back there and, you know, he's just a backup for Tua when he goes down for the next five, six, seven years. That wouldn't be bad either. Trade value or I, that. I mean, you, you're right. You hit the nail on the head with, you know, trade value. Uh, you also hit the nail on the head with the fact that you need to go back up quarterback, you know? But the fact is, uh, is that something that is going to be a settled upon agreement from a Josh Rosen standpoint? And that comes with how he performs in competition, you know? And this is a triple threat match right now. I mean, if you're looking for circling week one, it, right now, Fitz has to lose the job. Rosen's trying to take the job because right now they both should be thinking that there's this rookie who hasn't done anything yet. And that's not an indictment on any rookie quarterback. That's just the nature of the beast. You know, there's NFL tape and there's NFL experience for two quarterbacks in a very deep, when you think about it, quarterback room. If in two years, Rosen is still the backup with this, you know, team and Tua is doing terrific and that's really kind of been a settled in situation, you got to look at, you know, I hate referencing Steve Young again, but just it's a comparable in, in, a, in a sense that it took him five, six years for him to get to San Francisco after he was drafted by the Bucks, went to another league, played two years with the Bucks, sat behind Montana, then became a Hall of Fame quarterback. My, my only point is that, Rosen's very, very, very young. What he does for the next four or five years in his job under this remarkably cheap contract for a very capable backup quarterback, let's see what he's made of with his mental fortitude, you know? And in five years, he could have a 10-year career. 
somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. And the, the other thing to look at is if he does leave and he walks away and gets a decent contract, you're still getting a compensatory pick out of that. So, I mean, if you, if he leaves, you get a third or fourth round pick. I mean, especially if he gets anywhere near mid-range quarterback money, that would probably put you around that fourth round, fourth, fifth round level. I mean, there, there are several things to look at. And I know that's Miami's plan at this point is to – kind of run things the way the Patriots have up until the last couple of years. And looking at the Patriots, you can kind of see now why it, when you do that, you end up failing because they've been in win now, now mode for several years. And I, I'm not going to say this is a year at all ends, but you know, they're running out of picks. They're running out of players. They're running out of video cameras. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, well done, thank you. So I'm not going to say it's the end, but we're getting close to the end. I mean, at some point, Bill Belichick's got to let the reins go and let his dog manage the team. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But um, I think that you're right. You know, it's getting close. I really need to see what happens with the first post-Brady year. You know, on, on paper, uh, minus the coach, I'm not really scared of the personnel on the Patriot team. But, you know, not to talk Patriots, but to talk Patriot way, that's exactly what's going on in South Florida. And you can see it all over the place. It's evident. I was talking about that backfield earlier. Uh, and look, it's, it's, it's completely in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the same exact structure as Michelle, as White, and uh, Rex Burkett. And that's Howard, Brita, and Laird. And then you have your, your throwing guys, like a Gaskin, you know, who could be like that, you know, absolute change of pace in one game who could have an absolute crazy game like you know but who knows it's very very not superstar skill player it's superstar quarterback who's going to perform this week is it going to be pressing is it going to be is it going to be Devante? is it going to be this running back is it going to be this defensive battle where no name defenders are you know just getting sacks getting turnovers and they're going to win games on field goals and defensive field position so it's just going to be a very, very interesting structure to watch on who's going to be getting these points. Cause I just don't think it's going to be one spotlighted guy other than, you know, Tua. And I think he's going to distribute and that's what you need. So who cares where it's coming from? But I really do think that the Dolphins have something really, really good in place, but it's all contingent immediately on the solidification of an offensive line that is 60, 60, 66% built in the same draft like these three guys that were drafted hopefully could have five years together plus and then it's gravy agreed and I think it's gonna be interesting too to see what they do because they're still rolling into next year with I don't know how many picks but definitely two firsts right two seconds right uh they traded that one seventh for a tight end so I don't think they have any picks in the seventh but I think they got two picks in the sixth from where they traded the Seahawks so they're definitely walking. Right, that was, yes, good call. Uh, so they're they're walking away with some some serious ammo to add to what looks to be a decent team, and I honestly think they were going to walk away with more ammo if there had been a preseason, which would have been nice, because I think we've seen so many years, and we we may see some of it this year because they're going to have to cut players, but nobody else is going to have tape on those players either, and vice versa. But I cannot stomach another decade of seeing Chris Hogan's Jonas Gray's these guys just get cut by Miami go to the Patriots you could kind of see something with them you're watching them in camp especially Chris Hogan 
you know, that was the year they did the uh, hard knocks, hard, right? Hard knocks, you know, and Seven uh, Eleven. Yeah, always open. Right. And, Got it. And Reggie Bush is saying that, and then they cut him. Then he goes to the Patriots, and of course has a, you know, he doesn't become an All Star, but has a decent career. Jonas Gray gets cut, you know, and then runs for 200 yards in a game, and that's the last we ever heard of him because then he got benched for showing up late to a meeting, I believe. Yeah, you don't do that in New England. One and done. Yep, that was it. He was gone. <laughs> 200 yards, late to a meeting, done. No man. <laughs> Next guy. But just to, to watch that, I think we're seeing the end of that now, and I, I think they're building for the future, and that's a nice thing. I think every decision that Dolphins make now is no longer for this season. It's got to work for this season, but more importantly, the next three. And I think that's how they made all their decisions, even going back to last year, was what is our best move for the next three years? It's exactly a thought process I'm on board with. And it's a pattern, Drew. I mean, you look at some of the dangling players that were out there, and look, we're all guilty of it as Dolphin fans. This player wants to leave that team. Let's bring him in. This player's a free agent. Let's bring him in. But you know what? They might have had interest in a Gurley, in a Melvin Gordon, in a Cam Newton as a, for whatever reason. You know, I, I never thought they were interested in Cam Newton. But, you know, for running backs particularly. And these are guys that are looking for a certain dollar amount. They have wear and tear. They have their give me 30 carries mindset for the price that they really aren't worth these days, you know? So you move on. And that's just the mentality. It's not going to be for winning a championship this year, because let's be real. They're not winning a championship this year. And I don't mean to, to be soured. It's just a situation that if they win nine games, it's a miracle. And that's plain as day. It's I a good agree. miracle. It's an obtainable miracle. But I, I do think that you circle seven to eight wins is, is very reachable as a floor. And then you get lucky in a game or two because they're going to be in games. The defense and the scheme is going to be too good to be, quote-unquote, blown out like the first couple of games of last season. It's a different August and September going on in. I mean, you're not going to see trades, in all likelihood, three in a row pretty much leading up into week one, two, three. Speaking of week one, two, three, and I, uh, I feel bad because I can't remember who originally posted this, so I am literally stealing it from whoever it is. If you're listening, I apologize. Call me out on it. I'll mention you in the tweet. But they've got one, two, three bye weeks this year because they play the Jets, huh. they go to their bye week, and then they play the Jets. Yeah, I remember that. Someone said that it was brilliant. I forgot who it was. Was that you? That wasn't me. I, sh I, sh I think I – I really thought that was you. I may have retweeted it. Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm the one that said it. If I did, I, I, I once again stole it from I, that. I, I certainly remember seeing it. Okay, well, I may have at the same time repeated what he said in a tweet as Got well. It. So I, I just I like to be honest and admit when I didn't come up with something as an original idea because I know you're sometimes, a good man. Sometimes you see that and somebody does it to you and you're like, eh. I, I mean, I don't really get upset about. It. I don't care, but I'm just like, oh well. But it's still the right thing to do in my opinion. But yeah, I, oh, I, just, I think th that's going to be an interesting outlay because Adam Gase has ruined that Jets locker room completely and utterly. I mean, and the Jets have a good general manager now, in my opinion. He's made a lot of good moves. He completely fleeced the Seahawks because Adams was gone. So I, I still can't figure out why the Seahawks, who have done so good historically, fell off like that. What, what are you thinking? Um, I mean, here, here's the deal. There's a couple of points to turn on. Uh, yes, the, the Jets got a very good return. 
Um, now, when I say very good return, it would have been a heck of a lot better if the Seahawks somehow, you know, implode and win seven games, don't make the playoffs, and the pick's a team pick. Chances are they make this deal to win a championship, so the pick's going to be probably 25-plus. You know, the second round, it's going to be a later pick. So, yes, they're picks, but what it does, it doesn't build a foundation on solid rock that the Dolphins are trying to do to emulate a team like the Patriots or the Chiefs or, you know, teams that have built in the draft, retained talent. When people have had to go, yes, they turn those compensation picks into retained talent. So when you've got a guy like a Jamal Adams who wants to get out because of the coaches, coaching or one person, you're, you're just repeating yourself. You're, you're running on a treadmill without really getting yourself any distance. And it's, 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 it's very, very time-consuming. It's very energy-consuming. So in theory, hey, more draft picks. But really, what are you going to do with those draft picks? you got to hit on them. they got to be healthy. Everything's got to fall into place. And then lo and behold, what if one of them doesn't mesh with the coach? You trade him out, create this, and then here we are again. We've seen that happen. Adam Gase did that with the Dolphins. It took a new regime and a quote-unquote faux tank year and whatever happened last year for this team to kind of click and win games. It's just a situation where you have to just look at the coach and you got to own up to it. Gase mismanaged the situation again. And I'm looking forward to hopefully him mismanaging the situation for a couple of years. because with Blame the move, on. I, I can't think of the name of the Jets GM, but with the moves he's making, I think he had a, a stellar draft. Stellar draft. Uh, that, that trade was stellar. Uh, didn't do as well in free agency, but that I'm pretty sure that has more to do with people not wanting to play for Gase than much of anything else. Uh, and also, they don't have a whole lot of cap space, which I thought that was kind of interesting that they fired their ge- right. general manager after the general manager already messed things up. You know, hey, go pick all our players. <laughs> I mean, okay, you're, after we let you destroy it, you're fired. Uh, kind of reminds you of old uh, Tattenbaum. A little bit, a little bit. And, you know, you, you got a general manager in place there who is coming. He, he's helped build winners, you know. And I got to tell you, nothing bothers me more than when a Jet team or a Patriot team drafts a guy I really want to be a Dolphin, you know. And, and, and the Jets got a couple of those guys, you know. And it really, really bothered me. So, if it really, really bothers Dolphin fans, that just, you know, I guess they got a good GM sometimes, you know, because a lot of times we cheer about their draft and there was no cheering this year with the draft pick. So yes, this could be a, a deal with the Seahawks that if the Seahawks go to a Super Bowl and the Jets draft three staple players, then it's a very rare double win in an NFL trade. Uh, agreed. Yeah, it really, I, and I was really unhappy with the fact they picked Mackay Becton because I was a, a big oh. Mackay Becton fan because he's a big, yeah, he's a mauler. Even if he turns out not to be as, to reach his potential, decide, he's one of those guys, the size alone will make him somewhat decent. If you don't utilize Mackay Becton with a Le'Veon Bell and produce a thousand yard ground game, what does that tell you about your offensive minded? Guru. He he does like to draw. Oh God, he did it. He said the word draw. Draw a bubble screen. I didn't think we'd go there. <laughs> Which is essentially what he did. He's like drawing all this stuff up, and he, he runs like the same five plays. Tell you, I'm not a very good mathematician, but if you need two yards 
and you throw a ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage, all of a sudden, you need more than two yards. <laughs> I don't know if my math is right there, Drew. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. And we saw it for several years, and that's really uh, – it, it was frustrating to watch on a regular basis, that's for sure. I think the biggest thing that we take away is just knowing as long as Gase is there, at least Miami will not finish last in the division ever again. Amen. Because he's going to drive out anybody and everybody he can. With that said, if they keep drafting well and they get a new head coach, that is kind of scary. If that new head coach is anywhere near decent. But let's hope that doesn't happen. Exactly. We'll cross that bridge if uh, hopefully – you know, we need we need Gase in there for a good three, four, five years. Yes, he needs to be our saving Gase, for sure. Ah, I love it. All right, so that is the last of the topics I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on? I mean, basically just the overall theme of, of what it's like to be a Dolphin supporter and fan these days is an overall sense of optimism, yes, and uh, a little bit of, you know, you know, cautious, patient optimism that it could happen sooner than a lot of pundits and experts predicted nationally. We're a fan base and a group that loves the team, loves every aspect of the history and the potential of this team. And it's, it's very close to getting where this team needs to be. I think the structure is in place and I'm very excited to see what happens in the next coming weeks and really pray that everyone's well. I hope that you are well, Drew, and, and really everything in, in terms of family and friends are, are staying safe and healthy and we all get back to normalcy as soon as humanly possible and uh, watch our team, you know, trim the roster down because it's going to be, we're letting talent go no matter what. It's going to be a fun process. It's, it's going to be a fun process and all of us are going to get a little upset because there's always a couple of players you see, just like we saw with, uh, I don't know. You, I can't think of his name either. I'm, I, I've forgotten half the names of everybody. A lot of guys left that, that shed a tear. You shed a tear about a lot of guys last year. Ta Tabor Pepper. That's who it was. Oh, Tabor Conrad. Pepper. That was yeah. a heartbreaker. You got to love Tabor. And Tabor is one of the, you know, you look at him on Twitter. He's one of the most well, you know, liked and wholehearted guys out there. He's hilarious. And, you know, you wish him well. And, uh, you know, definitely was a little surprised with that. I, I think we all were. I think they kind of went with the mantra that they were going to, go younger everywhere and how often do you get, pick a six round guy that you know is going to make the roster I saw a lot of people upset about that but to me it's kind of one of those well if, if you can get a little bit better at a position but I did hate to see Tabor go because I was a huge fan of his too it was really weird seeing that that was a bit you know just to like you know give you another 15 seconds on this that was I was deflated really big time I was like oh you know not nothing against Blake Ferguson but like really and that was kind of – that was a rough pick. That was a rough moment of the draft. But then, you know, you, you move on as a fan and you start to support the current player. But, yeah, you, you, you wish Tabor well. Yeah, two, two years – who'd have thunk two years in a row we got that upset about a long snapper? But that's Dolphins Nation. That's exactly right. We love our long snappers. We're, I mean, we're coming off of John Denny. We're looking I, for the next Denny. He, he was like the only safe jersey. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you got a John Denny jersey with the C on your chest, you're, you're a good person. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I think we're going to close it up here, and I'm just going to give a good old fins up. Fins up, Drew. <laughs>